Are you ready, Alan? For what? I can't hear you. I said for what? Oh, um, SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Oh. <laughs> On diminishing returns. Oh, uh, yeah. I suppose I'm ready for that. Good, good. Right, let's start. Are you ready, kids? SpongeBob! SpongeBob! SquarePants! SpongeBob! SpongeBob! SquarePants! I can't hear you! SpongeBob! SpongeBob! SquarePants! Ready? SpongeBob! SpongeBob! SquarePants! Yes, hello, listener. This week we are almost like a, a palate cleanser from the last three weeks of relentless apocalyptic zombie horror. <laughs> uh, it's just me and Alan having a bit of fun talking about Spongebob. Yes. Oh, lovely Spongebob. Well. Comfort food. You say that. Sort. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, am too old for Spongebob and I have never mm. seen Spongebob before. Well, I am arguably too old for Spongebob. <laughs> um, no, I, d- I don't know. I think I'm I'm, think I'm probably actually the perfect age to really... Well, I looked this up. It started in 99, so in that sense, you're the right age, but that doesn't mean we got it over in this country at that time. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's ever played, like, on the real channels in this country. No, I, I remember seeing it on CITV. That makes sense. The, yeah. um, the pilot uh, and thinking, wow, this is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it probably wasn't 1999 when that happened. It was probably like 2000, 2001. But I think I was arguably the perfect age. I'll have been about 11. Yeah. Um, and I got really into SpongeBob um, over the next few years. I'd say, you know, the, the peak of that being about 11 to age 14. Now, when you say you got really into it, what does that mean? Like you went to conventions and stuff and dressed up as the characters? No, but I, I imported... Spongebob season one, two, and three on DVD from America. You oh. couldn't get, like, the proper season DVDs. Um, but then, you know, I used to import lots of American DVDs. Did you have all an all-region player? I did. I still have it here, actually, oh, yeah. Posh boy. Never use it anymore, but, yeah. Do you have any merchandise? Um, yes. Oh. But I, I don't know if it quite counts what you're thinking of. <laughs> I have... Um, a Game Boy Advance game, okay, which is not actually a game. It's two episodes of the cartoon on a Game Boy cartridge, so you can watch it on a Game Boy. Great. Which was this weird novel thing, which again, I had to import from America. I don't think they ever officially launched them in the UK, but I thought, wow, that's a cool idea. Is it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Back when I was... <laughs> 11 or 12, the thought of being able to watch Spongebob while I was in a German lesson at school. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think if I've got any other Spongebob merchandise, and I, I, I don't think I do. Fair enough. So, you weren't obsessed with Spongebob then, just, just a fan? Oh, you know what I do have somewhere? I, I, mean, I don't know where it is now, but I, I must still have it somewhere. I, I have an animation cell from oh. an episode of Spongebob. Is it legit? Has it got a certificate of authenticity? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I, mean, I, th- I think I think it's legit. Like I could certainly pinpoint what episode it would appear to be from. Yeah, and I got it, but but it was bought on eBay when I was younger. But it was from a reputable seller, right. and it you know it's it's acetate with paint on it, so it's not like 
some printed that I I mean I I think it's probably real. <laughs> I can't imagine they're that valuable SpongeBob animation cells. Well, no, there's about eight million episodes, isn't there? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it's all digital now, Alan. It's all digital, I imagine. Ooh. But yeah, that's that's is that merchandise? That's more like memorabilia, like proper yeah. hardcore collectible. Yeah, but that's so, like yeah. the that's the film fan in me getting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't have any toys or posters or anything like that. As I say, I was a bit too old for SpongeBob, and it kind of passed me by. Obviously, that was twenty years ago, and I've never watched it since. And it, I know we've we've talked about this before. It's become one of those things where it's like such a sort of cultural phenomenon that everyone says is amazing that you just deliberately avoid it. Do you think? <laughs> well, you know, people people like SpongeBob in the yeah yeah in the in. But what I mean, I guess, is it's not just a kids thing. It is something that people seem as adults to still acknowledge as being a good piece of work. You know. Yeah, a lot of kids shows do. They'll have a or cartoons, I guess. They'll they'll have a year or two early on where they just blow up and become a huge deal and they usually rush a movie out to capitalize on it and then they tend to die off and and be somewhat forgotten. I mean, the the amazing thing with SpongeBob SquarePants is that it's still going. Mm. It's a very long-running show, but I think a lot of people take the view of myself that there are basically three seasons and then a load of shit you can ignore. That's interesting because, you know, obviously we've established on this program before that all your life lessons have come from The Simpsons. And (laughs) there's one thing The Simpsons have taught me is that it's know when to quit. (laughs) (laughs) Know when you're shit and you need to stop. (laughs) As SpongeBob SquarePants creator Steven Hillenburg clearly did. Did he leave the show then? Is Yeah, he he created the show and he was the showrunner for seasons one to three. Then he made the movie and then he thought, right, I'm done. Keep it going without me by all means, but I'll I'm t- no longer still, involved. still take the paycheck. And it was basically immediately with the start of season four that the show just wasn't great anymore. It just became a completely... And, you know, I, I say, you know, I'll have been 14 and still really into Spongebob back when season four started, so... It's not just like I grew up or something. That's it interesting. Because that magic and charm. But it's stayed on the air for another <laughs> twenty years still. So, That's interesting yeah. because um what I did for this for this episode, I didn't watch the T V show. I went straight to the two films that we're gonna be talking about, one of which was made in two thousand four and obviously was kind of sounds like it was the culmination of the show. Um, yeah, very a, much so. as a good thing. And then the second one was made 10 years later, 2015. Yes, and the second one, I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but the second one was notable because it was the return of Steven Steven Hillenburg. Not Steven Spillenberg, which is what (laughs) I know he said there. It was the return of Steven Hillenburg to the series. I I believe he served as some sort of producer on that Mm. film. So he definitely was involved, but I don't think he was involved very heavily. Um... But it, it it definitely represents an uptick in quality compared to what the show was like, if you ask me. Yeah, I won't give away my thoughts yet, mm. uh, but of these two films. Um, but yeah, I I find that information to be interesting. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, like I say, I, I still haven't watched any of the actual series. What sort of format does it take? It's a kid's show. Is it quite short? Is it like 15 minutes? Yeah, it's typically 
your average episode will be a you know TV half hour, twenty two, twenty three minutes, made up of two eleven minute segments. Yeah. Um, that's not always the format. They'll occasionally do a a big double length half hour episode. There might even be some specials longer than that. I think there's one or two instances where they have three segments that are you know seven minutes a piece. Right. Typically speaking, you're talking eleven minute episodes packaged together to create a tv half hour so that can be quite difficult to translate to feature length format and we've seen yes. we've seen on this show one of the finest examples of that uh mm. beavis and butthead do america yeah um, arguably five minute shorts really yeah. were adapted to feature length uh, i think they were 11 really well. minutes when you include the music video time killing in between <laughs> but yes uh beavis and butthead as you say arguably one of the finest examples because it it works it, it really does make a, a a good, well-structured, well-paced, feature-length film out of this throwaway gag, essentially. When I went into watching this film, I- I'll be honest with you, I went in ready to hate it. You know, I thought... I know you did, Alan, I know you did. You, you, were, <laughs> this is... <laughs> you, you, you made your feelings about us doing this on the podcast quite clear. <laughs> well, thought, you know... No, it'll be it'll be a good palate cleanser after the zombie stuff we've been doing. <laughs> People like Spongebob, it'll be a bit of a change of pace for us. We haven't really done anything in this vein since, um, probably since we did the Despicable Me films, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that was years ago now, wasn't it? So, mm. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was coming in with a negative attitude, I, I must admit. I, I am fascinated to hear where you're going to lie with this, because watching it again, I was thinking... This could. This is such an exact. Much like Day of the Dead last week, this is such a film that could go either way with Alan, because it <laughs> it might just like surprise him and land the right way, and he'll kind of get on board with the humor and enjoy it. But it might just really piss him off because it's a load of surreal nonsense that <laughs> you know it's too too much fun going on. I'm not entirely sure where you're going to land with the first one. I I don't think you're going to like the second one. That's my guess, but. <laughs> Well, let, let's start at the beginning then, um, because it begins with some real people, which I wasn't expecting. Yes, the, the the SpongeBob movie. So yeah, of course, as we say, there were three seasons of the show, very popular. Um, the SpongeBob movie is largely designed for people like yourself, Alan, who who have never seen the show. It's very much designed to be an entry point for all the parents who were going to take their kids to the cinema, I guess. Um, so this this did get a theatrical release then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a big film, this. Made a lot of money. Yeah, but it, it has some continuity issues with the show, but, you know, it's Spongebob. I don't think anyone's really <laughs> bothered about that. Story. Yeah, I was I was curious as to that, how it was going to be set up. What, will I need to see the show to for it to make sense? Um, but actually, you know, it's all very simple characters. I knew that there was a Spongebob and the little pink friend, and then <laughs> like the Miss Mr. Krabs and all. I kind of knew some of the characters. I reckon I knew the what they looked like and stuff. Um, but yeah, other than a few kind of clips here and there and memes and what have you, I I wasn't yeah. really aware of what they did. Well, SpongeBob has definitely found quite a bit of new life in internet memes. I would say recently. Um, hmm alongside Shrek. <laughs> I think it's a generational thing. I think it's people slightly younger than me who, you Steamed know, hands. going back to their childhood. But yeah, so you you know SpongeBob. Um we covered the Bill and Ted films recently and we made a a big song and dance about how 
relentlessly positive those characters yeah, are and yeah. how it's really refreshing did you get that from spongebob because my takeaway as a kid one of the reasons i love spongebob was i just thought he himself was just such a, an incorruptibly positive optimistic friendly character and i was wondering if that was going to come across in the film because they you know they 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 do have him get a bit pissed off at times and somewhat play against that type in the show it's almost a running joke that you can kind of do your best to upset him and he'll just kind of keep laughing and smiling and saying thank you sir and (laughs) i don't know it's just he's like impossible to actually upset in the show a lot of the time yeah yeah i see what you're saying actually i hadn't thought it when i was watching it in the same way with bill and ted uh but you're right um i think the difference is that this obviously this is a cartoon and it feels like the whole point of this character is that you can't get him down, like and that, like you're obviously saying there. Where I don't yeah. think that is the case with Bill and Ted. They just sort of like find the best in everything. I don't know. I don't think it's quite the same, but mm. I do know what you're saying. That kind of chirpy optimism that you're always going to come away mm. from this show, kind of feeling um, good, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, obviously there are bits in this where he's he gets depressed and uh, you know obviously it has to hit rock bottom before he can yeah, um, exactly. find his way up again, which is a nice, perfectly uh, fine character journey and uh, all that. Um, so yeah, I mean, do you want to just go through it scene by scene or? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the best way because yeah, like I said, it, it started with real people, some pirates. Um, yeah, and I forgot I, about this, which was a nice. Um... One of the things I love about Spongebob in general, and it's particularly prevalent in both of these movies, is the sort of mixed media approach to it. It's just so playful in its use of different mediums, and they're they're not at all scared of chucking a bit of live action or a bit of, you know, stop-start animation or some weird animation styles in there. Well, I assumed that this was something kind of new for the film and that it wasn't standard in the TV series. Yeah, well, it it is and it isn't. Um, There are episodes of the TV show that do sort of establish the the notion that you get in these films that the underwater world is animated and if they go up to the surface, it's live action. But as I say there's sort of continuity issues in the show because it's just a throwaway cartoon. So I remember there's an episode where they do go up to the surface on an island, but the the way they do it is when they get onto the island, um, SpongeBob becomes just a a literal, like, washing up sponge on a stick. Mm. Um, Mr. Krabs is just a crab, like an actual dried-out crab on a stick. Like, they're just doing, like, a puppet show, essentially. And they, they also did a thing a lot where, particularly for the half-hour special long episodes, Tom Kenny would play a character called Patchy the Pirate, who is a live-action character. It's just Tom Kenny with a an eye patch on going, Ah, kiddies! But they'd open up with him, live-action pirate, and he'd sort of say, Let's look at what SpongeBob's up to today. And it, it was always kind of hinted at, but they, they'd never really gone to this extent that they do in the film of having the surface and filming it properly and so on you know i don't think they really have the whenever patchy the pirate tom kenny would appear it was blatantly the nickelodeon car park with you know (laughs) tom kenny sat in a rowing boat you know it's it's they didn't have a movie budget to play with yeah the interesting thing here is that the 
it opens and, and ends with these bookends, basically, of these pirates. And it's very breaking the fourth wall there on their way to see the SpongeBob film. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants. Absorbent and yellow and porous to see. SpongeBob SquarePants. If not, it will not be something you wear. SpongeBob SquarePants. Then drop on the deck and drop like a fish. SpongeBob SquarePants. That opening, bear in mind this is the first thing I saw, that seemed very sort of silly and childish. Uh, and but that's okay, I suppose. It's in keeping with the tone of the film as we went along. It wasn't a great start for me, just as an intro, but yeah. um, it also... There's a charm to it. Yeah, yeah. It's entirely unnecessary, but yeah, it, does, yeah, yeah. it does establish this idea that the real world exists and it's live action... Mm which does come into play later on in the actual film. Yes. So it does kind of establish that, which is nice, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's fine. You're doing something a bit different for the film. You, you, uh, yeah, giving it a nice cinematic feel. They've got a, a big budget pirate ship, yeah. Okay, so the, the pirates go and settle in to watch the film in the cinema. Then we have our kind of episode format establishing shot of uh, the little island above the water that's pretty much taken from the tv show tom kenny doing a jacques cousteau impression yeah. for the narrator that's all from the show um which is why it doesn't <laughs> come back later on it just sort of says ah here we are um and then we have something that I've pointed out in two yes. previous episodes well I wrote a, this a... down it's the it's... <laughs> what was it called it's the... a trope the soul, the soul Harris guarantee. <laughs> if you make a movie based on a sitcom or a TV, or a TV not show, even a sitcom. Yeah. If you make a movie based on a TV comedy of some sort, it will probably open with the main character having a dream sequence. Because, and I, I think the reasoning being they just want to go big, have a big movie-worthy sequence up front to hook mm. you in before we then meet the character whose life is actually a bit more mundane and not yeah. cinematic. So Beavis and Butthead do America that we mentioned earlier is is a perfect example of this. That opens with uh, a kind of kaiju giant Beavis yeah. and giant Butthead attacking a city and then a, a sort of 70s police show pastiche. Ali G in the house is the other one yeah, that yeah, we yeah. covered that opens with this. He, he's sort of going around the hood, shooting guns and being an action hero, badass. And then he wakes up with a dog licking his testicles. Mm-hmm. That's that Sasha Baron Cohen humour right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they're the only two we've done, aren't they? Are there any others? Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But it is something you've talked about before, yeah. But yeah, I think you're exactly right in terms of the reasoning. It's it's like, mm. hey, look, it's big, it's a film. And then it's like, oh, we can't keep that up for 90 minutes. <laughs> Just make yeah. it a dream. So here we have... Um, a scene which was basically the trailer for the movie, from what I remember, or the teaser trailer, and it's it's a weird bit, really. I don't really understand what they were going for. Um, they're playing it like a like a big action crime police sequence where someone's got to defuse a bomb or talk down a a, a gunman in a hostage situation or. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just that a guy has ordered a burger with a cheeseburger and they forgot to put the cheese on it and SpongeBob's there to save the day in front of mm. the onlooking crowds. Well, watching this w- without any um, real context, it, it 
I, I kind of, it seemed to me that this wasn't standard procedure. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was like, this can't be the normal way that they do a show. Like, this this can't be the setup. Because obviously Spongebob can't be like a, a loved hero by everyone. He's got to be a bit of an underdog. Otherwise, what's the point? One of my first notes, one of the first things I really no- noted 10 minutes in was in, in terms of the style, uh, animation style, but also kind of the comedy style as well. Um, this really reminded me of of a show from my childhood, uh, which is, do you, do you know what I'm going to say? or <laughs> Can you get No, because your childhood, you'll be a bit, you'll be a few years earlier. It's probably going to be... Mm... Ren and Stimpy? It is Ren and Stimpy, yes. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, it really reminded me of Ren and Stimpy. Um, some of the little, just a lot of the gags they do, it's not quite as kind of grotesque as Ren and Stimpy is yeah, most of the well, time. Yeah, it's, it's very of that, yeah, it is of that style. It's, you know, they're both Nickelodeon shows. A lot of the kind of gags were similar as well. And, 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 and the way that they would cut to a close-up of something and it would be in a very different sort of style and, and much like these kind of details that I'm pulling out. Yeah, which is which is fed into a lot of internet meme culture as well, I would say, that style of that art style. But yeah, it, it's definitely drawing a lot of inspiration from Ren and Stimpy as a show. Absolutely. You know, they all these people were working at Nickelodeon drawing inspiration from one another. Uh SpongeBob is largely actually the spiritual successor to the guy's previous show. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life, which was a short. Oh yeah, cartoon. I did watch that when I was a kid. Yeah, Rocco's Modern Life. Same creator, and um, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think a lot of the cast and writers and so on kind of took what they'd learned there and and went on to SpongeBob. But yeah, so that was my first thought, and that that's a good thing. I think I liked Ren and Stimpy. It's been a long time since I watched it, but you know, I think Ren and Stimpy is generally a lot more mean spirited and, and grotesque. Yeah, the, the the I forget his name now, but the the guy who created Ren and Stimpy yeah. is a real piece of shit. <laughs> but it's kind of it's only sort of come out more recently with. Uh, but yeah, you know, Ren and Stimpy was yeah massively, massively uh, influential, really. So uh, we then uh, set up some of the characters, and I, I made a note here: thirteen minutes in, and that's bear in mind we got a bit of preamble with the pirates and stuff so it's sort of 10 minutes for show i thought this is a really nice efficient setup for someone who's never watched it before we've established all the characters mm. we kind of figured out where they stand in this world uh you know established that spongebob has been kind of knocked down because he's too childish and he needs to become an mm. adult and it's like okay this is going to be like a coming of age story sort of thing he's got to prove himself um and we've set up the villain was this kind of cackling villain the plankton thing plankton yeah um, yeah which i assume that's a long running thing that he's that's it just is, like yeah. he's the antagonist and they're trying to steal all of them. this is yeah there, there's obviously more long running threads than just this but yeah i'd say the core the core basic setup of the show is typically plankton trying to steal the krabby patty formula and spongebob working at the crabby the, the crusty crab with squidward and mr Krabs and his and friends I, and, I got all that because yeah. you know the way we're introduced to plankton he basically goes i've done everything to try and steal this thing i've gone through every plan plan a, a to y. y yeah so it's like <laughs> yeah. that immediately it's tells me as someone who's come in new like 
oh, this is a long-running thing. This could be. The one thing that did feel a little bit too dropped in is like, oh, I might need more explanation of that, is where he goes, look, Karen, my computer wife, this is what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I assume that's there's not really No, there's not really any... I don't think they ever really explain that. I think the first step time you ever meet Karen is computer wife, he just sort of goes, oh, Karen, my computer wife. <laughs> okay, I'm all right with that. Karen is voiced by uh, Tom Kenny's wife. Just a bit of trivia for oh, really? there. Okay. Jill Talley is her name, yeah. Is that the only female character in the entire film? <laughs> well, there, there is Sandy a squirrel, the Squirrel was the, not really the kind of... Yeah, she's kind of the main female character in Spongebob, and she's very much... This film took the arguably the right decision to just sideline most of the supporting cast um the likes of squidward and sandy and just have them yeah have see their, i like, was one line at the start but like i said i'm a, i was kind of aware of the character i knew there was that squirrel in a kind of spacesuit and mm. squidward i thought squidward was like the major kind of antagonist character well he kind of he, but on a more, a of i think episodes, he's on a more day-to-day basis isn't it? like the work colleague who's a bit of an arsehole a lot of the episodes are a a twofer dynamic, you know, Spongebob and Squidward pissing each other off in a kind of buddy story. Or they often do Spongebob and Patrick winding him up, because I don't know if you know Alan, but he lives in between them on the street they live on. So he's their neighbour as well. I think it's a shame Squidward isn't in this, because he's possibly my favourite character on the show. He's very good when he's used properly, and he's great foil for spongebob but you know it's not what they were doing so well i think that's quite a brave decision um, yeah in terms of film to kind of drop a couple of the major characters and yeah i i I don't think it's the wrong decision um Mm. yeah like commit to the story you're telling and and don't try and do too much Uh, i quite like that actually i agree it's different but it reminds me to the League of Gentlemen, when they made their movie, The League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, and mm. everyone kind of expected it to be the big fan favourite characters that they chose from their sketch show, who would be the main characters in the movie. You know, your Papa Lazarou, if anyone's seen it, characters like that. But quite rightly, they were like, no, we're going to pick some kind of lesser known characters that are not huge parts of the show yeah. just because we've got a bit more we can do with them they're not just a catchphrase we can flush yeah papa lazaro how far can you go with that yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it reminds me a bit of that where they've they've actually thought about the characters that are going to best serve what they're doing and i mean it, yeah it's a really stripped down narrative it's just spongebob and patrick and they go on an adventure really uh once it gets going plankton yeah. intermittently popping up as a villain well, this is the, I made that note saying this is a really efficient, tight setup, and then I kind of I kept watching, and about it got to like nearly half an hour in. I realised it was half an hour in. I was like, mm, it doesn't feel like we've moved that much since then. So like that was the sort of slightly, but but what we're doing there at that point is setting up um, the hey now Neptune hey now. Yes. <laughs> and uh, his daughter. This is actually a bit of. Um continuity that did bother me uh, oh. as a 14 year old <laughs> uh, King Neptune had appeared over the course of Spongebob Squarepants a number of times with a completely different character design, similar but you know a lovely head of hair and he was not voiced by Jeffrey Tambor <laughs> John O'Hurley so I don't think that's a particularly well known actor <laughs> but um, he he just had a different voice and that wound me up and you know, you just 
completely read basically they just throw out the idea that neptune had ever appeared on the show before and you know it's fine <laughs> they're making a movie it doesn't matter yeah so the whole bit where we're establishing him and the daughter and, and the crown thing plankton steals the crown it all makes sense it's all needed for the plot but that was the bit and and to be perfectly frank with it it went by very quickly i just suddenly realized when they when the the spongebob and and patrick set off on their journey I was like, oh, they set this up nearly 20 minutes ago and they're only just setting off on the journey, you know. Uh, and, but it was, I guess it's all stuff that's needed. But um, but then that made me think like, oh, I, I just made a note that the first 10 minutes was this and then the next sort of 15 minutes was this. Like, is this going to be an episodic thing where we're just sort of seeing they're writing in these kind of 15 minute chunks still, but they, they're weaving them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I must admit, it didn't feel like that particularly. I think there are some kind of there's an episodic kind of nature to it. I, um, I've i been doing a bit of research into how the Simpsons movie came together at the minute, Alan. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I just found out the other day that apparently the writing process was essentially they divvied up, you know, 90 pages of script and just sort of went to the different writers, right, you're doing pages 1 to 20, you're doing 21 to 30, like 39. They just did it like that for the first draft. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the number of writers on the Spongebob movie, it's pretty much everyone who was writing on Spongebob Squarepants back then. I, I bet they probably did that same approach of, you're going to do this scene, treat it like an episode, you're going to do this bit, and we'll kind of stitch it all together and make it work and flow. But yeah, I think it works, you know? That's, yeah. It's a lot of very good work. And and frankly, it was making me laugh as well. You know, it was it was funny. Yeah. There's some nice bits. Um, did you enjoy the musical number? I know that's your sort of thing. Uh, which one? The 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 proper musical? Yeah, the big one. Yeah, the moustache one. Now that we're men, we can do anything. Now that we're men, we are invincible. Now that we're men, we'll go to shows and get the crowd Mr. Krabs. Now that we're men. Yeah, not massively, if I'm honest. It's a bit. It's a bit plodding. SpongeBob's had some great songs in the series run, <laughs> and that song was just very like duh, duh, duh. and I I think it's actually a piece of library music that they've just written lyrics over the top of because I I think I've heard it on the show before. I didn't know they did songs as kind of a regular thing. It didn't feel they, like that. It felt like not... they just tried to do something a bit bigger for the film. Yeah, it's it's not it. like a big. In the same way, the Simpsons will occasionally just have a song in an episode. That's that's what I'm talking about. SpongeBob's yeah, yeah, had yeah. some great uh, songs like that, but it's not like a musical show. But this grill is not a home. This is not the stove I know. I would trade it all away if you'd come back to stay. This kitchen's not the same. There's a there's a great episode called Ripped Pants quite early on that culminates in a fantastic song. When Big Larry came round just to put him down, SpongeBob turned into a clown, and no girl ever wants to dance with a fool who went and ripped his pants. 
pants. It's a nice moment, I think. But I mean, I, I'll say I love the music in this film. Uh, and I think the, the SpongeBob movie soundtrack is it's unbelievably better than it has any right to be. There's some like there's some genuinely fantastic music on that album from the Shins and the Flaming Lips and you know legitimate <laughs> artists. Patrick, you see I'm growing a mustache, and though I know I must ask you, does it really make me look like a man? They've really put a bit of time and effort into it. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's actually a great song. I I love the soundtrack to this film, and there's some weird remix of stuff from an episode and a, a kind of goofy goober remix yeah, in yeah. there, and all these other bits and pieces. So overall, it's the the weakest part of the the film for me musically. But I I you know I'm always happy for there to be a musical number. If anything, I was disappointed that the film wasn't a fully blown musical. <laughs> and these these soundtrack stuff you like from SpongeBob would that be available on Spotify somewhere? Would it be some sort of curated playlist on this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yes. Uh, I I believe the SpongeBob music is on Spotify, which it will have to be for this to work. Yes, uh, I am <laughs> launching. Certainly by the time this episode comes out, it should be available. Uh, a Diminishing Returns official mixtape playlist, everyone. <laughs> it's a brand new way to li- listen to Diminishing Returns. I'm really pleased. It's coming together so nicely. Basically, you can hop on the playlist on Spotify, and it's all the episodes of Diminishing Returns, yeah. and all the episodes of other podcasts that Alan and I have appeared on. Ooh. All all mixed in. But what's really nice is there's like a a musical break between each episode so it's it's like listening to the radio where you get some songs and you know you'll you'll obviously get all your James Bond themes in there but right, yeah. there's some more more playful little things and it's all very of the show there's a lot of little in jokes in there um you know for example uh there's no obvious theme tune for pink flamingos so the song <laughs> I've had uh, introducing that episode is a song called Pink Flamingos by Electric Six. And they never fly away in my front yard we stay. And baby, I sometimes find it hard. You've got to climb the statue of the demon to get closer to God. <laughs> Just little things like that, you know. <laughs> And yes, I, I will definitely be chucking some Spongebob music on the playlist when this episode lands, so check it out. A new way to enjoy Diminishing Returns. <laughs> Yet another way. It's, it's particularly interesting because I've I've been doing a lot of work on the YouTube recently, uh, mm. which has been mostly cutting out music from their episodes <laughs> <laughs> because of copyright infringement. I'm trying to get away with as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, the good thing with this playlist is it means I won't have to put quite so much music into the episodes <laughs> themselves. I can just slap it on at the end. Um, Although I do have a I do have a doozy of a, a track uh, lined up for the edit at the start of this episode to bring us in. Uh, on that note, bringing us into this episode was um, a track from Neil Ciceraga's new mashup album, Mouth Dreams. Okay. Neil Ciceraga, that's his credit there. Back to SpongeBob. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff going on here. I don't know if there's anything specific you want to talk about. I didn't make any specific notes about scenes, but there's some, Mm. some really lovely stuff. Um, 
I think that I think you're right. There's some great jokes in this show. It's it's or this movie specifically, but the show was always like this. It, it's kind of like a light version of a good <laughs> adult animated show, like yeah. The Simpsons. It's written with that kind of fast-paced gag a minute style, but the hit ratio is a lot lower than something like The Simpsons uh, yeah. at its prime. But you still get some really funny gags in there. And then it's mixed with a, a real surreal cartoon bent that I think just takes it over the edge. You know, it, the fact that it does just play around with weird medium and, and some of the stuff... I, I remember crying with laughter as a kid watching the show. With um, There's an episode which is, you know, just 11 minutes, but... It's SpongeBob and Squidward working the night shift at the Krusty Krab and and getting freaked out because it's the middle of the night and they're hearing noises and they think they're being haunted. At the end, it it turns out that it was just this customer who wanted to buy a burger, but then they say, hang on. If that was you on the phone and you on the bus, then who was flickering the lights? And then they look to the corner and it's Count Orlock, the, like, <laughs> taken from a dorm still Nosferatu. Nosferatu! Awkwardly edited so that his arm is, like, moving up and down the light switch. And then it's, like, this weird Photoshop smile on him, like he's kind of grinning at them, like he's playing a prank. It's just weird shit like that. And Or, or there's one that I loved as a kid where Spongebob's hiding from a bully, in the toilet, voiced by Thomas F. Wilson, who is in this okay. film. Yeah. Don't know if you spotted him there, Alan, or I didn't recognize his voice. Recognize his voice, no. Uh, he's the big tough fish in the biker bar. He he was a regular voice on the show, like a guest, a regular guest Ooh, a character kind of actor, voice actor. Yeah, but there's an episode where he's playing a bully who's bullying SpongeBob, and SpongeBob hides in the toilet at school, and a fish goes to like use the toilet and opens it and then it's just a live action footage of a, a like washing up sponge in a toilet and the fish just goes oh that's real nice and just like <laughs> walks up <laughs> and just stuff like that i you know as a kid as a 14 year old that was the funniest thing i <laughs> i've ever seen and it you know it still does it for me on a level now as an adult not quite like it used to but <laughs> Yeah, Thomas F. Wilson uh, is a is a solid um, extra supporting voice in this film. Um, we also have our series regulars, Tom Kenny, one of the the powerhouse voice actors out there. You'll have heard him doing variations of his SpongeBob voice in pretty much every cartoon made in America <laughs> for the last twenty years. 30 years. You know why I'm here? Do you know what Ice King means? Every time I see a monkey on TV, he's either naked or wearing diapers. Hi there! Welcome to the fairy dating game, where fairy godparents find the fairies of their fairy dreams. As mayor of Townsville, I feel it is my sworn duty to tell you that you stink! You smell! You reek! You're stinking up the whole town! Okay. He's been in Futurama. He he was the voice of, uh, among others, he was the voice of Fry's brother. Kareem's got the skyhook, but Philip J. Fry's got the spacehook. Yancey drives! He goes up with his patented spacehook! Hey, that's my patented spacehook! You stole it! You're not the president of it! Oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just looked on his IMDb. 
and it says 507 credits. <laughs> you know he's a voice actor who got that many credits. Yeah. Well, you know, he's he's done a bit outside of that. He he came up with um Bobcat Goldthwait. They're All both right. they're both really good friends and he's in he's in most of Bobcat's early films, I think. And I think he was a stand-up comedian essentially in the early days before he kind of fell into cartoon work. Mm, makes sense. Um but I think he I think he does a fantastic job as SpongeBob. Um and similarly is Clancy Brown. He's not quite as yeah. much of a firmly established cartoon guy, probably because he's had more of a live action career <laughs> of yeah. note. Uh we've discussed him specifically in our Pet Cemetery episode because he was the the main adult in Pet Cemetery 2. Yeah. I don't think we've really spoken about him outside of that, but he, well, we haven't done Highlander. We haven't done Shawshank Redemption yet. Yeah, yeah. Sort of um, he's Mr. Krabs, doing good work there. Not in yeah. it all that much. Roger Bumpass, not a massively well-known actor, but very good uh, performance of Squidward throughout yeah, the show. Doesn't voice there. Yeah, doesn't have a much of a chance to shine here, but. Bill Fagerbacky as Patrick is someone you've probably seen in things. In fact, I'll tell you what you've seen him in, Alan. Oh, go on. He is the head of NASA in Space Buddies. All <laughs> 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 oh, right. I'll tell you what I know him from, if I'm correct. Isn't he in Coach, that sitcom from the 80s with Craig T. Nelson? Very possibly. He's in a lot of sitcoms. He's like uh, He plays like a big dumb lummox football player or something. Yeah. I think he's in one episode of Oz and gets killed, <laughs> which happens a lot in Oz. <laughs> I think he's kind of. Um, I th- I think if Jeff Daniels is busy, then <laughs> maybe tenth on the list of replacements is Bill Fagerbacky. I think that's kind of where he sits career wise. Yeah, good voice though. Um, prop- he's not. He doesn't strike me as someone who's going to have like a Tom Kenny ver- varied voice career, but he's yeah, got a great yeah, voice. Distinctive voice. Well, to be honest, Tom Kenny's not got the biggest variation with his voice. He's kind of got. He's just got a good cartoon voice. He's he's got kind of his voice to SpongeBob and everything in between on that spectrum, and they're kind of his voices. And occasionally, he'll break something else out there. And then Mr. Lawrence as Plankton. Yes. He is a writer on the show who, as I think is quite common in kids' cartoons, a lot of people will just start giving themselves roles on the shows if they're a producer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Extra bit of money. So he's he's the voice of Plankton, and he's also a, a recurring gag on the show, which definitely comes up at least once in these movies, where whenever something gets thrown off screen or something, a guy will just go, My leg! <laughs> Whoa! What would this town do without you, SpongeBob? Oh, my leg! Okay. He's he's good though. I think he, he does a very good job as, as that character. Um yeah. we've got Carolyn Lawrence, Caroline Lawrence as Sandy the Squirrel, very briefly. She's just another standard cartoon voice person. And then, yeah, we've got our, our big gets for this movie. Mm-hmm. We have Scarlett Johansson as mm-hmm. Mindy, the daughter of Neptune. 
could have been anyone really. I, think. I will. Um, I, I did. I recognised her voice. Yeah, I recognised her and Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, just from hearing their voice, I was like, "Oh, is that Jeffrey Tambor?" I think. Yeah. But then I did Jeffrey not Jeffrey Tambor before he was Me Too'd and became problematic. <laughs> back when he was a p- appropriate for a kids' cartoon. Hey um, but I did not recognise the voice of Alec Baldwin as the kind of hard ass who goes after them. Uh, can I help you with something, sir? Name's Dennis. I've been hired to exterminate you. He is doing a bit of a voice on top of his voice. He's he's doubling up the gravel and the depth <laughs> of his voice. That's it, really, though, isn't it? For yeah. for celebrity gets apart from our big cameo at the end. There's a well. This is it. Um, so near the end, they they end up in real life, uh, as in outside of the sea, um, mm. with this kind of weird, overly comedic kind of diver mm. character, <laughs> yeah. which doesn't quite fit in with the tone <laughs> well yeah i know it's weird isn't it it feels like they should have just played it straight and it would have worked yeah. better but he, the the divers behaving it feels like what they should have done is the surface is the real world and everything below is wacky and cartoony yeah but instead the way the diver plays it the fact that he never takes that diving suit off even on the surface and stuff like that is just like silly cartoon nonsense again and it just kind of I don't know, it almost feels like a missed opportunity somehow, I don't know. Mm. But I do love all this stuff on the surface. I, I've got a real soft spot for mixing hand-drawn animation with live-action footage. It, I, I, it just activates some part of my brain. <laughs> and they do a really nice job of it. And it's nice to see Spongebob and Patrick, you know, out on the surface. It's just got a real novel feel. It's a it's a great way, I've got to say, to, to make a a cinematic film that feels justified in being a, a movie, you know, from that TV show, because although they did go to the surface, like I say, it was never really done to this extent. Uh, and they eventually sort of escape, and and then we have this Deus Ex Hasselhoff. Um, <laughs> a real... This is something that really dated it, <laughs> I think, because... I don't know, even in 2004, did kids know who David Hasselhoff was? Was that a thing? Well, that's what I mean. Even in 2004, I think it was a throwback. And I think this is the same as him popping up in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, isn't it? He's just like a retro joke for the parents. It's a very weird bit. And I kind of, on a tonal level, I understand where they're going with it. It just seems, it just seems odd. And the fact that it's Hasselhoff. I don't know, yeah, it feels dated. Um, like, who gets this as a kid? Like, do, what does this mean if you're a kid? It's just some Well, bloke. I think as a kid, it's just funny, because it's just some guy who swims like a speedboat. <laughs> like, yeah. that, I don't think you need to get that they're spoofing Baywatch in some weird way. They're not even really spoofing Baywatch. Other than they the are in that he swimming. runs over to them in slow motion, and that's the end of it. Oh, and he's wearing a red, uh, red swim shorts as well. It is arguably a Deus Ex Machina, but it's one of those things where it's only necessary because they they had that bag of magical wind that was established early on and then, you know, fucked it up. So, yeah. you know, I think when you get something like that, it's okay because the writers could have just had them use that bag of wind. Yeah. So it's not like a cheat. As a write, like from a writing point of view, it's no, just. I guess not. I, did, I didn't feel cheated. It just felt a bit weird <laughs> and out of place, even in such a weird film. <laughs> um. So yeah, David Hasselhoff s- sort of swims them back to uh, home in time, shoots them down to the surface. They've they've got the crown back from the surface. 
It's been a fun little playful throwaway adventure. Nothing particularly remarkable, but all good fun. Um, and then they they have you know your typical like big heroic speech at the end, and because that would be a bit boring, SpongeBob for no real reason just breaks into song. I'm a goofy goober! <laughs> full-on uh, rock and roll number parody of um, I Wanna Rock by Twisted Sister. And then he saves the day. Yeah. And again, again, it works because he's kind of already saved the day, but then they're just kind of chucking this on as an extra bit, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, they bring they get the crown back in time and everything's done, but then Plankton's still like, well, mm. I'm still doing my thing. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you don't need any of that, really. I mean... They go on this journey to find this thing. the The plankton bit is sort of separate. It's they they're, they're yeah. barely even aware of it because they're not there. It, it, you could take that out and make the film work, but it adds something. You know, it gives you something to cut away to and and give you a yeah. little bit of a breather from SpongeBob and all that. Yeah, and, and I think it works. It's a way fine. to work in the the other characters of the show a yeah, bit yeah, who yeah. are otherwise not really in there. Did you notice in that song at the end the the two Beavis and Butthead fish? Um, head bo- head banging to uh, the um, the song. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I yeah. noticed the distinct <laughs> animation. I thought I I thought about them. And I thought, well, they made them try and make them look like Beavis and Butthead, really, in any way. So I thought maybe it was not a it's, deliberate reference, but I guess it's definitely a deliberate thing. They're they're in like the same outfits minus the band logos, but oh, you know, right. the same color shirts and everything. I think the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is just. I think it's a joy. I really do. It's it's kind of a, another textbook example, I, uh, I would say, of just how to adapt a cartoon to feature length. It kind of it kind of understands what works about the show and and you know picks and chooses the right elements to bring it to screen. Mm-hmm. And the animation is is gorgeous. If if you're a fan of Hand drawn mm-hmm. animation, like I am, it's it's always a joy to see it in yeah. in cinemas and done to this standard. And it's obviously a a massive cut above what you get on the TV show. As much as I like that show, and it's well animated too, it this is for the big screen and all glossy and lovely. But then, like I say, there's this mixed media playfulness about the film and bits of music and and so forth. And yeah, just just generally. Really good job, I think, and everyone involved should be really pleased with themselves. <laughs> and and another thing, actually, um, that I suppose you won't be particularly aware of, but I think it's a really great approach for them to take. This is basically the finale of SpongeBob SquarePants, the show. You know, it, it ends with SpongeBob being given managerial duties over a second Krusty Krab mm-hmm. and Plankton having exhausted his evil schemes and um all these other things and it it was very much meant as the end of the show and steven hillenberg said as much he said the show can keep going but then canonically this movie is always set at the end right so if you're watching them in like 
you know, in chronology, in sort of internal chronological order, you watch all of the show and then the movie at the end. And I think that's great because it just means the show isn't at all hindered by, oh, we've got to keep this aspect yeah, around. Manager, to keep it does, going. I guess, the way that translated for me was that this does feel like an ending. It doesn't feel like, well, we've got to get everything back to normal so that we can carry on with the next episode. It feels like things yeah. have changed, the character has grown and moved on, in, even in quite a small way. Exactly. But yeah, it does feel like a complete plot. So I give it an 8 out of 10. Mm. I think it's great fun. Really good job of what it is. Alan, did you... It sounds like you kind of did come around to the <laughs> whole thing, watching it, but let's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I kind of went in ready to be annoyed, <laughs> but which is my natural state. Um, it really won me over. I thought it was funny that it worked as a structure. I understood the characters straight away. It was a joy to watch. It was an easy watch. You know, it's about an hour and 25 minutes and there's like 10 minutes of credits. It's nice and swift. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like you're... It, it, it packs a lot of story into that. Um, yeah, I I was really won over by it. I liked it a lot more than I expected. And I gave it an 8 out of 10. Wow. I know. I couldn't quite believe it myself either. I was expecting a 7, maybe a 6, not an 8. Wow. Well, I was all the way through. I was like, yeah, this is actually... I'm surprised this is a good solid 7. But I was just like, no, this yeah. is really good. I need to go a step further. But I can't imagine a film like this, for me, getting any higher than 8. I think this is as good as it could be. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of oh, what it's set up to do. Well, I I agree. I think it's I think it's I think it's nearly the best possible SpongeBob SquarePants movie that yeah. could exist. Maybe not quite, but yeah, it's up there. And yeah, I mean that that really was the end of SpongeBob in a lot of ways. Although the show did continue on without Steven Hillenburg, but you know, I think it's not just me saying it. Kind of lost its way. I think general consensus among fans was yeah it's not what it was um and i stopped paying attention to it and watching new episodes and there there always seems to be some episodes on netflix these days but it's always some weird selection of three seasons at random from the middle of the show's run <laughs> so every now and then i will sort of dip back in and just see like oh is it, did it ever get any better and Pretty universally, the answer's no. Um, <laughs> I did make a point of watching an episode they did, like a feature-length special that I think they did, or maybe it was like an hour, I can't remember. But they, they did a big sort of TV movie several years later where the big thing was they got David Bowie in to voice <laughs> the... God, what was he? He was like the king of Atlantis or something. But it was very much a, a waste of everyone involved to be honest <laughs> and i watched uh they did like a christmas special more recently that was stop start animated for the whole thing and yeah i don't know it's not great anymore <laughs> it's a shame but they did uh finally get a film together 11 years later a sequel because they did talk about a sequel at the time but i think everyone just felt like no we've we've done it that's SpongeBob. We're we're happy with that, yeah. And it just never really went anywhere. But then Paramount and Nickelodeon partnered up to kind of establish a, a Paramount Animation wing in the the two thousand tens. And I think they basically decided they were going to make a whole load of Nickelodeon based movies. The first of which was the SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water, right? The sequel to the SpongeBob SquarePants movie from two thousand and fifteen. 
I don't know. Th- this to me feels a lot more like kind of what you might expect from a kid's cartoon turned into a movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, so obviously I watched these two back to back, well, over two days, but, you know, and, and I'm not familiar with the series. Yeah, after enjoying the first one so much, and like I didn't know that the show had declined, like you said, and that there's kind of this sense of decline. So I kind of went in this one with a little bit more optimism, but I knew, you know, a long time had passed. So, you know, was it going to be as good? I, I would say what I got from Sponge Out of Water was pretty much what I expected from the SpongeBob movie. I, I think that's the yeah. level I was expecting, but I was going in kind of more negatively as well. So I was I was ready to see that and go, why do people like this fucking idiot? Whereas having seen the first one now, I understand why people like it. Whereas this just feels like people going through the motions. I think it is people putting effort in, but it's just not, you know. Um, so the the big premise of this, they they made a big thing of, hey, SpongeBob goes on the surface, hmm. but it's sort of like, well, not only have you done that on the TV show repeatedly, but it was sort of the big concept of the movie <laughs> that you already made. But they tried to sell it like a new thing with this film because this time the characters are inexplicably CGI animated when yeah. they go on the surface to try and make them look more realistic or something. Which I think is a, a complete and utter lack of understanding about what is fun and joyful about seeing these characters go on the surface. You know, you, you don't want a, a quote-unquote realistic Spongebob on the surface. Plus the CGI animation is pretty weak. <laughs> like crap <laughs> CGI <laughs> stuff anyway. Is it? I can't really tell, I suppose. It looks fine to me. It's not grey. It's just bog standard stuff. Anyway, so we open with Antonio Banderas, who is the big celebrity get this yes. time, playing uh, another pirate character, Burger Beard. Yeah, was the pirates a big thing for them? Because they seem to go to that. Both films, they've gone to that as a... Yeah, well, yeah, it's set in the ocean, isn't it? Um... The opening sequence... You must be familiar with the opening sequence. No, I don't think so. No? Well, the opening sequence is a painting of a pirate, called Painty the Pirate, in fact, going, are you ready, kids? And doing singing the theme tune. Oh, that explains the ending of this one. Exactly, yes. That That is the ending there. Well, yeah, so Antonio Banderas, a man famous for taking any job he's offered. <laughs> I guess uh, this is no exception. He is the big get, like you say. It feels like he's kind of having fun with it. I don't yeah, know if that necessarily translates. To, yeah, it doesn't quite. Work. It feels like kind of a slightly crap Johnny Depp impression. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that. That's the pirate he's going for. Is Jack Sparrow, isn't he? Like that's the influence that's been taken. I feel like he's shot himself in the foot. Honestly, I reckon they would have been giving him a call for that Javier Bardem role in Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> Five, but then he went and made this, and probably meant that was never going to happen. But yeah, we we've got him. We've got some really annoying seagull characters that kind of crowd him. Now, Alan, I don't know. I'm I'm guessing you've seen the American original version of this film, but mm, I guess that this is yeah in in the um original cinematic release in the uk they did this very frustrating thing which a lot of kids films do where they will get a kind of localized celebrity in to Uh, dub over so 
I think this was something largely, if not started by, it was certainly popularised by Shrek 2. Yeah, Jonathan Ross in, didn't they? Yeah, they got Jonathan Ross in to dub the ugly stepsister who, uh, I don't know who she's voiced by normally, it's probably David Letterman or someone, isn't it? I don't know, Jay Leno, (laughs) who fucking knows. But um, anyone international listening, Jonathan Ross is a, a British chat show host. Shrek 2 has, you know, got a lot to answer for, for a number of reasons, really. For <laughs> negative impact on the animation side of Hollywood, but this is the most egregious thing that I think it gave us. Uh, you know, Cars did it, they had I think Jay Leno voice a character in the original Cars, but then when it came to the UK, they got the insidious shithead Jeremy Clarkson to do the voice instead because he presents Top Gear in the UK. Spongebob Sponge Out of Water, uh, they got a load of cartoon voice people to do the seagull voices in America. People like Rob Paulson, uh, Billy West, Cree Summer. The UK version got a load of fucking vloggers. What? (laughs) A load of little, like, you know, young British vloggers. I thought you were at least going to say James Corden. Well, it's people at that sort of level, but yeah, YouTube. And uh, it, was, it was horrendous. It was difficult to watch, particularly the seagull who does the cute thing of mixing up his R's and saying like, oh no, am I in twubble? You imagine a like, little you know, British vlogger kid trying to do that voice. Oh, it was, it was insufferable. So I was very pleased re-watching this that it wasn't an issue anymore. It just seems like it was in the theatrical version. I'm going to look up exactly who it was, you know, Alan, doing those British voices. I mean, I, I probably won't know them. I don't know even... Uh, Stacey Solomon. Hang on, she was in the X-Factor. You know her. Yeah. Alan Carr. Okay, yeah, he's a well-known comedian. He's a chat show host, yeah. And uh, vloggers Joe Sugg and Casper Lee. No ideas. Absolutely no connection but you know alan you know alan carr right just imagine alan carr as one of those seagulls and how much worse that film is i can see that though he's got a distinctive voice i can see that working yeah but don't dub over a thing with like just you know either get him in from the ground up or don't you know yeah so then we go down to bikini bottom and then we kind of just get it's quite a meandering story, this one, and it is very episodic and all over the place. And and I was surprised, really, at how much of it is set in Bikini Bottom and, and animated, you know, and mm. under the ocean. Yeah, when they finally go up to the surface and it sort of becomes clear that it's not just going to be a little quick excursion and then they go back to the normal thing and that this is going to be the rest You're, of the it's film. It's about an hour into the film. It's like two-thirds of the runtime in. But I will also, and and it felt like when that started happening, I was like, surely this should be the movie, you know, like 10 minutes in, they have a reason they have to go to the surface, and then they're just plunged, if, if you're going to do that. But also, yeah. I will say, my attention was gone. Like, what, as, soon as, the, as soon as they went to the surface, I don't know if it was just time or if it was something about that plot point, I like, it did not mm. engage me at all, and I was just sort of no, hung I, on I to agree. the end. I agree. It was not... I was not interested in the story. The premise of this film was sold as they go to the surface. And I kind of thought, well, okay, I guess the idea is that's the starting point. They go to the surface and that's the main bulk of the movie. So I was also really surprised when I watched the film. And it's kind of the big climax at the end, just the same as the first film. And and certainly, yeah, my memory of it and re-watching it earlier today 
I prefer all the hand-drawn animated stuff and Bikini Bottom, to be mm. perfectly honest. I, I really do. It's more true to what Spongebob is. It feels less contrived. It feels less forced. You know, it's it's a bit episodic and nonsensey, but Spongebob and Plankton teaming up, which I, I must say is a really nice dynamic to throw the hero and the villain together for this movie and mix it up mm-hmm. a bit. Um, them teaming up with the time machine and interacting with Matt Berry as a uh, intergalactic dolphin and stuff yeah. like that is yeah time you know, travel stuff yeah that that's like a an average episode of your SpongeBob show really it's not like them at their best but it's you know I can live with that it does it feels like that last third the third act is unconnected to everything that came before well I think it probably largely was I think it was probably a different creative team writing and well not writing but directing it and staging it and everything but the antonio banderas bits it's set up as though he's kind of telling the story in a narrator sense so you think it's just a kind of like the first film breaking the fourth wall kind of meta narrative but then he actually comes in to be a significant plot point which i suppose works nicely and it kind of sets you up for one thing and 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 then turns into something else okay um i will say that what interested me about that though right at the beginning was that they use that character kind of telling the story to do a real massive like exposition dump right at the beginning, setting up all the characters and sort of saying who everyone is. Yeah, again, if you don't know this show and you've never seen any of this before. I found that was interesting because obviously I was expecting that in the first film or thought that was a possibility and it didn't do that. It set up the characters in quite a natural way. Whereas this felt like it was just like, look, we need to establish what everything is. We're just going to do it right now. And that's just not as good writing, frankly. And animation, in animation terms, you're going to have to sort of Mm. tell me um, what the difference here is. But watching this one compared to the first one, I didn't like the animation as much here. Like even the kind of under the sea stuff. It felt more, uh, I guess it felt more manufactured or something. Too too polished, too, too clean, is that? I think it's largely down to direction honestly i think it's largely just how it's you know the artistry the eye behind the shots and Mm. the color palette being used and so on isn't as nice in this and that's largely because they're doing a kind of mad max pastiche for a lot Mm. of it so there's a lot more drab brown colors and so on um but maybe yeah the glossy side there there's a lot more there's a lot more use of kind of not drawn elements in this than you'd get normally it's you know when they show the Krabby Patty for example at the start it's not a drawing Mm. of a burger or a painting it's like a weird computer model thing and and the same for Plankton's Burger Um, and I guess this was also I think the Spongebob movie was made I might be talking out of turn here but I think it was like one of the last sort of properly hand-drawn projects that was made with kind of actual paint and ink whereas this this newer one will absolutely be digital uh that might be wrong the first spongebob movie might have been fully digital but i i know that like i say the spongebob show was still being produced with like actual painted backgrounds rather than photoshop painted backgrounds back then i would imagine the movie was done with actual hand-drawn characters that were digitally colored in and so on but but it's very possible you're picking up on a distinction between mm. digital and um, analog techniques at play. Well, I think also, perhaps you're right, it doesn't kind of do that 
what I would call a Ren and Stimpy thing of like going to that kind of close up and playing with little moments, well, yeah, little it, visual gags. There seemed it, to be a lot less of that. I, I still like the mixed media aspect of it, but you know, for example, there's a scene relatively early on where Plankton climbs inside SpongeBob's brain when oh, yeah. he's dreaming, and the animation style changes. And that would have been a perfect example for a real, you know, trippy sequence. And and it kind of is, but the the animation style they go for is very pared down, very digital, minimalist, like an advert for aspirin <laughs> rather than. Yeah. An animated movie. Yeah, and then uh, I must say, there's a few gags in there that I lo- I do love. When um, might be my favorite joke in the film when when Patrick no, when Plankton is going to be sick, and then mm. a rainbow comes out, and then the rainbow looks at him and goes, "Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my favorite joke in the film. Yeah, there was um yeah when they travel through t- time, they have a bit of fun with that um animation wise, yeah. but it does feel like all just very kind of yeah. Okay, this one's a two thousand one pastiche, you know. This is yeah, and then the, you know they go to this dolphin who watches over space and time, and he's animated in a completely different way. Yeah. And he nips to the bathroom, and the bathroom's live action. Well, I think it's a photograph actually, rather than <laughs> video footage. But um, you know, it, it's that sort of thing where they're they're kind of being interesting with what they can do with it, but it's just it's not as nice to look at as just full on animation. Yeah, speaking of that scene as well, I mean, I know there's kind of no cause to complain about any sense of reality in this film, but Saturn and Jupiter crash into each other, and they're made of rock, apparently. Uh, which is, <laughs> that annoyed me, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. I, I, I did quite enjoy that scene on the rewatch. I think when I first watched it, I was a bit like, what is good? What is Just good? That... Whereas on this, it was like, there's a, there's a real nice simplicity to this laboured setup of this guy watches all space and time. Can you watch this for five minutes? I need the toilet. The second they start watching, the two planets just start drifting into each other for no reason <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. I think laboured is probably the best uh, term for that. <laughs> Did you like Matt Berry turning uh, up? This was the real start of him being in American things, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's, got, he now a, does all the he's time, got a great but... voice, so yeah. use that, fair enough. But rather than being like, oh, this is an episodic segment, it just felt like this is some random shit we're throwing at a wall. We don't really know anymore. It, it, it felt unstructured and... Like it lost its yeah, way. Yeah, th- th- this point. whole movie is very. And then cutting to say, you go into the third act, and like I said, it just feels like a totally separate film. So it, it felt yeah very ba- poorly structured as a film. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it might even be over the end credits or right at the end. There's just like this weird the dolphin raps for a bit. Um, I think yeah. is that when Hamilton came out? Was that all the rage at the time? I don't think that's anything to do yeah, with Hamilton I think it particularly. <laughs> I think it's just... Why am I talking to you? You're an inferior species. What could you know about taste? You get excited by a pile of trash on a plate. While I'm a space-time traveller. Fabric unraveller. Saving the patterns in the past. But now I'm rapping, yeah. I don't think. Nah, I, don't, I think Hamilton came out that year, but I don't think yeah, it was quite... Look, the... Rap is really hot right now. Yeah, but I think rap was hot enough that the idea of a rapping dolphin was just funny anyway. I don't, I'm not convinced. I think that's a definite Hamilton influence. I think they just they hired someone from NERD or whatever it was to do that time travel song that appears and they probably just threw together a rap for the dolphin while they were at it. 
I, I will tell you what is a, a real bit of pandering to contemporary influences, though, is the, the whole superhero element in the last Yes. Thing. Well, I th- I thought that, you know, I th- you know obviously they go for a big superhero thing and you immediately would think, oh, well, you know, superheroes are really hot right now. But the yeah. way they do it is so kind of... Old school, 1960s not, Batman. Not just that, but they have really weird powers... And they don't particularly go to any effort to try and make anything of it. It, feel, it just feels well, they like... Just, they just give them all superpowers as if they're superheroes. But yeah, it doesn't even... It's like it forgot that it was supposed to be a superhero pastiche. Yeah. Yeah, someone came up with the idea, but then someone else executed it in a totally different way. And It's like to get funding from Paramount. They had to say, we'll do a superhero parody. <laughs> and they went, okay. And then they forgot that they'd agreed to it. I've just looked up that rap, by the way, Alan. Oh, yeah. It was uh, put together by the people, it would appear, who make that thing epic rap battles of history. Are you familiar with that? No. It, it's something I've heard of before. I think it's like a YouTube skit or something of that nature. But yeah, it, it seems to be like they got these funny internet people in to do a rap for So basically what you're saying is Hamilton ripped that off? <laughs> uh yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I mean I I've been very negative about it because it, it it is a very messy film and it's lacking, you know, I I think the first SpongeBob movie is a legitimately great film. I think Sponge Out of Water is not. Mm. <laughs> um but at the same time, it's such a joy for me uh to see this kind of mixed media thing with this much hand-drawn animation to this standard and they are characters i'm fond of and enjoy so even though i can acknowledge this is me being incredibly generous it just about scrapes a very weak seven out of ten for me this one a 6.5 rounded up so i'm giving it that but i'm i am sort of relying i'm sort of relying on you to bring the score down a bit to <laughs> make it more real yeah reasonable. i yeah i found it totally mediocre frankly and but you know if you're a kid who watches spongebob stick it on it's fine you know it's bright colors and all that sort of stuff es- especially after watching the first film it was a bit of a disappointment um i gave it a 5 yeah see i think that's fair i i i, I really was expecting on the rewatch to to be bumping this down to a 6 out of 10 but it was just such an easy watch for me, and there were enough little gags and things that I still enjoyed. <laughs> it, I it, thought, it did eh, lose me though. Okay. That last half hour, I mean, I wasn't engaged at all. It was just happening. Um. Anyway, there you go. That's that's the two SpongeBob movies. Mm. Uh, the TV show is great, or was great at a time for what it was. Alan, if you if you do feel like ever checking out an episode, I'll I'll give you the episode now. That's generally i think regarded as the best one. Oh yeah it's called i think it's called band geeks okay yeah so the reason we're doing this we haven't mentioned it yet but there there is a third spongebob movie coming out or already out depending on what country you're in listening to this uh, and when you're listening to this i suppose <laughs> but yeah. yeah i think i think it's come out in canada at the time of recording in cinemas uh it was meant to come out pretty much internationally around the world by now, but obviously coronavirus and so on and delays. Um, America turned around and just said that they're going to put it on CBS's new 
streaming service as like an exclusive movie next year. And I think here in the UK, Alan, it's been bought by Netflix and will be debuting straight on Netflix this month, which is what this episode's tying into. So hopefully at the time that you listen to it, it will be out this week. 5th of November. I'm just I'm watching the trailer for it right now, so I see. But yeah, so what what's the is it going to be good? I guess I don't think so because oh, the animation is very CGI. Well, yeah, they've <laughs> they've made they've made a weird decision to not make it hand drawn animate. They've completely like from the ground up, it's CGI animated. And yeah, it's quite yeah, stylized yeah. CGI animation. Yeah. Um, you know, on a different film project, I'd probably be really into, but. It just feels like a shame this this growing sentiment among film execs and so on that hand drawn animation doesn't sell and if it's a movie it has to be computer animated because I don't think it looks nearly as nice the animation as the first SpongeBob movie but I guess that's just you know they they didn't want to do another adventure on the surface and the only way to justify it as a movie in their heads was to do it with a computer. Mm. Which is a shame, because, you know, I think they could just do a big feature-length hand-drawn thing, and it would probably work about as well as anything. Keanu Reeves is in it, have you, have you yeah, seen Yeah, I've just seen his face in a bush. I'm sure that'll be good. <laughs> Kids love Keanu Reeves. Um, and yeah, it seems to be another road trip with Spongebob and Patrick going on a on a road movie adventure. So I'm not exactly expecting it to be great but i i don't know i'm looking forward to it coming out i am um, i don't know if it's just the the lack of new content in 2020 the lack of new movies <laughs> but i'm quite He's excited just to get yeah get a brand new spongebob movie great so yeah that's it really will you be watching alan no <laughs> <laughs> maybe i will if you want to do diminished i think my prediction is it will be about as good as the previous spongebob movie yeah but it will lack that hand-drawn animated charm for me, so I won't like it as much. Yeah, I can believe that. Next week, Sol, we will mm. be looking at something even more ridiculous. Um, Is that so? Die Another Day. <laughs> In our epic Bond journey, we are at the last stop of Brosnan. Um, I think it's the last one he did. Yeah. Or is it? <laughs> what, they're going to bring him back? Yeah, no time to die. He's replacing Daniel Craig. Did James Bond's dad turn up in the previous Bond movie? I know they were talking about it. I think there's a picture of him that they idea of being died a long time ago. Yeah, so he didn't actually die and it's Pierce Brosnan. Mm. I mean, that'd be happy. And the fact that he's he's only like, what, five years old than <laughs> Daniel Craig? <laughs> Doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> I think he's looking younger than Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's that then. Yeah. Alright, bye.